Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. In which we talk about myocardial contractility, what influences it, how it happens, and finally we'll talk a little bit about cardiac output, which is a very important concept in cardiology. Before we start talking about what affects it, let's have a brief discussion about what myocardial tissue looks like and how it contracts to bring about its function. So histologically, cardiomyocytes are made of sarcomeres, which are a unit of uh, one contractile unit uh, that's contained inside of the cardiac tissue. These sarcomeres are divided by uh, what we call Z-lines uh, that contains each of the units that bring about contraction inside of the cardiac tissue and that's a point where these filaments are sort of attached to each other. Between these Z-lines they're thick and thin uh, filaments. Thick filaments are made of myosin and the thin filaments are made of actin, troponin and tropomyosin. Each of these has its own function which I'm not going to go into into so much detail today. Just a quick summary of the overall picture. Normally tropomyosin prevents binding of actin and myosin to bring about contractility but when there's calcium present inside of the cellular environment it binds to the to a region in troponin called troponin C which resides on tropomyosin and it moves it away so that actin and myosin can bind and bring about the action. This action is brought about when these filaments slide over each other and shorten the unit uh, length of the sarcomere. So the entire Z length is shortened and the entire heart tissue as a result becomes smaller or rather the length of the, the muscle tissue becomes shorter. By shortening the length of these muscles the volume inside of the chambers goes down and as a result the blood contained inside of the heart are expelled. Now back to the sarcomeres. Part of the plasma membrane of the cardiac tissue forms what are known as transverse tubules and they carry action potentials uh, directly from pacemaker cells that Bill talked about in his episode on cardiophysiology, uh, cardiac electrophysiology. And that's where the changes that we've talked about uh, begin to happen. The calcium that uh, brings about this contraction comes from smooth endoplasmic reticulum inside of the cardiac tissue, also called, uh, more often called sarcoplasmic reticulum. That's where calcium comes from. What happens in the entire system is that an action potential reaches the end of the plasma memory, the sarcolemma. When it reaches threshold, then uh, you'd remember that the sodium channels open and there's an influx of sodium. Then some of the calcium channels are also activated, particularly the L-type calcium channel. These L-type calcium channels are also called dipyridine calcium channels. At the same time, there's a sodium calcium uh, exchanger which pumps sodium out and in exchange for calcium into the cell. So intracellularly the concentration of calcium goes straight up and it's a very important process in the entire system. I'll come back to that in a second. This calcium that starts to build up within the environment uh, opens these receptors called rhinodine receptors uh, on the sarcoplasmic reticulum and as a result there's uh, even greater influx of ca calcium inside of the intracellular environment. We call this process calcium induced calcium release and all of this together take a direct role in contractility the calcium in the intracellular region now this calcium that we spoke about a few seconds ago that uh, results from the opening of uh, l-type channels or dipyridine channels if there's an increase of the calcium inside of this inside the cell before the action potential reaches threshold the resulting total concentration of calcium within the cell goes up which means that more calcium inside of the cell, more calcium intracellularly means there's going to be a stronger contractility. It's a direct result of uh, sympathetic activity. So what sympathetic activity does is through beta-1 channels, they cause downstream effects in, um, in cellular pathways that uh, increase the 
uh, induction of this enzyme called uh, phospholambin by phosphorylating it. And what phospholambin does is it increases the action of uh, calcium ATPase channel, which which is an important uh, channel in in taking calcium away from the intracellular environment back to the sarcoplasmic reticulum so that the calcium is ready for the next cycle of events. So overall, this helps in terms of the heart rate so it can become quicker. At the same time, sympathetic activity also phosphorylates calcium channels, which uh, leads to an inward buildup of calcium that uh, increases the threshold of depolarization and as a result uh, increases the force at which the next um, contraction cycle uh, works at. So in summary, sympathetic activity increases contractility and at the same time the heart rate. Similar to skeletal muscle, cardiomyocytes also have an optimal range at which they can function in terms of their length. So in the diagram that I'm drawing here, there's an, if with an increased length, the force at which cardiac tissue acts uh, increases in a directly proportional manner, but there's a limit. At higher lengths, the increase in force starts to uh, plateau a little bit. That is the basis of Frank Starling's law, which is that if the filling in the chambers of the heart are in is increased, then the force at which the heart contracts is, is increased. And this is important because the heart does have to expel all the blood that's been um, provided to it, which is the venous return, which is from the vena cava's inferior and superior. Uh, this is where the concept of the preload comes in, which is a volume of blood that remains inside of the ventricles at the end of diastole. And preload directly affects the force at which ejection happens. The other concept is afterload, which is the pressure that acts on the ventricles from the aorta. And that's a direct result of pressure inside of the aorta and the arterial trees. Both of these preload and afterload affect cardiac Output. It's, it's quite straightforward really. The preload, uh, a higher preload means a higher cardiac output because we need to get rid of all that blood. And at the same time, afterload puts a back pressure onto the ventricles. So if there's a higher afterload, then there's less cardiac output. The heart releases less blood because there's more resistance. So cardiac output is a volume of blood that the heart expels that's given to it in a minute. And that's equal to the stroke volume, which is how much blood the heart releases in one beat. And the and that's multiplied by the heart rate. So if the stroke volume is 70 milliliters and the heart is beating at 70 beats per minute and you multiply them together, they get uh, you get 4,900 milliliters of blood per minute. Now, the ejection fraction is the amount of blood expelled by the heart in each beat. And this is equal to the stroke volume divided by the end diastolic volume. And one of the reasons why this concept is very important is that it uh, demonstrates how well the heart tissue is working in in heart failure as we'll talk about in later episodes uh, this value is reduced with all of that hopefully that wasn't confusing the last concept i'm going to talk about is myocardial work which in physical terms is equal to the force times the distance at which the work was done in the heart this equates to the stroke volume multiplied by the aortic pressure so if stroke volume increases because of um, if the heart is doing more work as a result of increased venous return or an increased sympathetic activity then the st stroke volume increases and hence the work of the heart is increased at the same time if the aortic work is also increased if the aortic pressure is increased because of uh, increase in resistance in the arterial system or hypertension which we will talk about in a later episode then the work of the heart increases again. If the work of the heart increases, it requires more oxygen and other nutrients for it to continue working. And that's where the concept of um, myocardial ischemia uh, comes in when the blood when the blood flow to the heart is not matched to the amount of uh, energy it needs. To summarize all of this, I'm going to draw over here pressure volume loop and it looks roughly like this this sort of rectangular space it's a very rough drawing over here but it's just just to demonstrate this point this region is labeled one and this is where 
in the entire system, the left ventricle is contracting against a closed uh, mitral valve. At this point, the ventricle contracts against this closed mitral valve and the pressure inside of the left ventricle increases. At this point, which we label to the aortic valve bursts open and that means that blood can move straight through uh, and, and get released from the left ventricle. And as volume starts to fall, the pressure continues to increase, but the pressure increases slowly but then starts to go back down. At point 3, the aortic valve closes and the left ventricle starts to relax again. This is a region, this is this moment is called isovolumetric relaxation. And in this period, the relaxing of the heart starts to reduce the pressure because the cardiac myocyte tissue is relaxing and the volume is sort of um, settling into this, this chamber that's not contracting anymore. It's called isovolumetric because there's no changes in volume uh, during this phase. And that happens at, at 4, the mitral valve opens and uh, allowing blood to come from the pulmonary veins into the left ventricle, which starts to um, increase in in terms of its con the volume of its contents again and then the cycle starts again and back into um, what I forgot to mention was isovolumetric contraction that's it for this episode thank you so much if you've made it this far and if you have any feedback please feel free to let us know episode today was put together by our executive producer Gautam and our co-editor Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.